0: Hello, everybody. It's 40k lore time. And we're going to learn about things and waste all your time. Hi, uh, welcome back to Foxtrot Battleline. Um, just real briefly, you can follow us at Foxtrot Battleline 5198 on Instagram, and you can email us with any questions at foxtrotbattleline at gmail.com as well as our new website will be launched soon at Um And, um, you know, so that being said, today, um, t- I'm here with Lou. Hey, hey, Lou. how you doing, everybody? Nice to have you back. And he's out of um, our, where we'll, we're going to be eventually, um, uh, Royal Fox Studios uh, right now. I'm the other half. I'm calling it remote, but... Yeah, this um, is our
1: new headquarters, hopefully soon in the next month or so month or two Two, two.
0: (laughs) we'll see what happens (laughs) but um yeah we'll usually be out of there Uh, right now we're kind of doing some remote recording and um today's topic is astro militarum um, which is i think i've said this like (laughs) Corey and i have a joke lou um about how this episode's never going to get recorded because at the end of every episode is like and next time astro and then it's something else (laughs) oh no Uh... (laughs) so we're finally doing it. Um so this is our first uh actual in-depth episode that we're doing. Um so the goals here are really to try to cover Astra Militarum, um as much as we can in this transition between eighth and ninth. And I'm sure Lou and I will accidentally say things like, Well, that's not gonna work well in ninth and things like that. So um yeah, and Lou is our resident uh player. Um Lou, you want did you wanna talk about yeah, a little bit about um, you know why you like them or uh, it's up to you. Sure, introduction. Sure.
1: <laughs> uh, when I first was introduced to uh, the world of 40k, rather than starting based off of the lore and the story and the the hobby itself, as in like the painting and the building, I was uh, originally attracted to the aesthetic of the Imperial Guard. I love tanks, I love heavy artillery, I love what it represents, and to me, in my mind, the playstyle that I thought uh, at the time before I had any 40K experience, you know, the play style of, that the Army would embody based off of the aesthetic, um, which, which I am trying to emulate, in my mind back then it was set up a, a whole gun line and hold basically a defensive position while all of your heavy tanks and machinery and armaments, rain down uh, mortar fire and shells from above while you just table your enemy. That's that's how I imagined <laughs> it, it happening. Um, and I still play like that, um, which is bad. But <laughs> I... Still learning. Oh, still learning. Uh, maybe I'll never learn. My goal is to just get as little amount of CP or uh, victory points as possible and just table the enemy every table.
0: time. Table. <laughs> well, you went automatically that way, but that's not such a great strategy. <laughs> no. But really,
1: uh, a friend of ours at a hobby shop uh, nearby uh, recommended, and when you pick your first army, there's a lot of ways to do it, but pick one that really resonates with you, Um, like the aesthetic. Yeah. What models are you attracted to? Because regardless of whether or not if the faction or your army is effective or not, or is really like in the meta, you have to love it in order to want to play it. Um, and I saw the Imperial guard basilisk and I was like, I need, (laughs) I need it. I need to have it. Um,
0: wasn't like boys two men playing at the time. Oh yeah, boys two the boys, the men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh and we had luckily we had a buddy at the shop who ran Imperial Guard and he let me proxy them and put them on the table and 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 that's when I knew I want I wanted to play Imperial Guard. It wasn't the first army I played. I ended up playing uh, Custodes and uh, a few other little factions at the time, and then uh, I ended up selling all of that and now I'm in love and am dedicated to Imperial guard. <laughs> um, and there's lots of different factions. There's lots of different styles, which I'm learning. Um, but I ended up playing, uh, Catachan, which uh, not Catachan, Cadia. Uh, K- yeah. It's the Kadian yes. gun line. Yeah. Kadia stands, but, uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> they do it,
0: right? <laughs> that it does. Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: as long as one Kadian soldier is alive, Cadia
0: still stands. Very true. I, I guess, um, since you, brought up katia so we're gonna go through all the factions here tonight to start and so we're gonna mix a little bit of lore with a little bit of how they play on the tabletop um so you know since you brought up Kadia we'll we'll start there and um just briefly if you don't know about the 13th black crusade by abaddon the spoiler um you're about to learn about it
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> so, i'm about to learn about it too uh because yeah there we go. this is gonna be good
0: yeah so um Pretty recently in the 40k, uh, you know, in the time frame that 40k is running, um, Cadia, the planet was invaded. Um, so on Cadia before, um, the fall of Cadia, uh, not to ruin everything, but it does blow up eventually. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Um. Yeah. Um, there's these gates there, um, warp gates. Um, I can't remember if they're Necron or if they, they actually were... are Necron, uh, gates. That's what they've
1: been ignored apparently for such a long amount of time, uh, on the planet. They just kind of, I think just thought it was, yeah, you know, they were inert or something like that.
0: Yeah. They, I mean, you have to imagine like Necron gates are millions of years old. So if you have some on your planet, you may or may not know about it. Um, there could be some on Earth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, no, please. Because <laughs> um, the Necrons were around. Uh, I think they say the Necrons and Eldar were around before human beings discovered the wheel or fire. So they were there, these Necron gates. And Abaddon, the yeah. Despoiler, a, a undivided chaos lord of the Black Legion, um, came to invade. <laughs> and, um, you know, without getting too deep into it, because there's a lot of books about this um, out there. Uh, and they did a whole campaign a few editions ago on the Cadian gate. Um, so Abaddon comes, uh, he comes with a ton of different, uh, space marine legions and basically the Imperium's a little too late. So I think the blood angels make the call. Um, they come in uh, and help defend Cadia, but a lot of the other space marine legions are a little too far away. And a lot of, uh, you know, some of the Cadian, um, military even is a little too far away to come back and defend it effectively so what ends up happening is um cadia abaddon kind of wins and cadia is destroyed um through a warp storm um and i think uh a ship crashes into it right so it or... says
1: here in the imperial guard codex um and Abaddon the Despoiler, after his Blackstone Fortress was crippled, ends up crashing it into the surface of the Akkadian planet, Mm. which which then basically ruins the planet completely.
0: And it's through a warp, like a warp, big warp explosion. So he blows up the gate, and what that does is (laughs) it creates – so if if you're new to 40K, um, when you look at a map – they have maps in pretty much every book – there's this big rift that divides the uh, galaxy in half, the Cicatrix uh, Maldictum, I believe it's called. And that wasn't there in previous editions. If you look at like a third edition rulebook, um, you won't see that big rift in between. <laughs> um, the reason why is because of Cadia. So after Abaddon crashes the ship into the gate, it creates this huge warp storm that tears the universe in two and separates uh the previous Imperial colonies from others, as well as a lot of the other races, um, minus, unless you're Tau, but, um, cause Tau are in their little area and it's not really that affected by this war storm. So Cadia falls, splits the uh, galaxy in two. And, you know, that's kind of where we're, we're dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, with, uh, Robert Gilliman coming along and trying to reunite the galaxy. And I guess in ninth that we we're going to see the silent King who, um, is only kind of discovered because Gilliman's, you know, trying to deal with this rift that happened from Cadia. So a lot of modern 40K comes from this big Cadian event.
1: <laughs> Appar- so. Apparently, um, you know, before all of this happens and Abaddon, the despoiler comes and fucks up the planet, they were basically just their responsibility was defending all the demonic and, and chaos forces that would be coming through the, the rifts regularly. That was like yeah. a daily life of Cadian
0: soldier. Well, that's because, uh, their planets, if you don't you know know this too, their planets next to what's called the eye of terror. Okay. Um, and before this big warp storm, um, the eye of terror was kind of like where real space meets, um, the immaterium or the warp. So it was this little section it actually comes from the birth of Slaanesh. Um, so the Eldar kind of made the eye of terror (laughs) way back when. So Mm. they're to blame, but, um, without getting too deep into all that, um, Cadia was really close to the eye of terror originally, which is why it was a prime target for Abaddon's crusade. Okay. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, that's kind of like Cadia in a nutshell. Uh, right now, currently they, um, train and recruit, all from their starships.
1: So <laughs> wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So I mean,
1: are they the only like faction of Imperial that trains their dudes and like on the starships? Everyone else does it from their home yeah. planet.
0: Yeah, well, everyone else has, still has their home planet. <laughs> that's true. However, dysfunctional their home planets are, they all still have them. Besides Cadia. So
1: I heard that. Um, like when you're like traveling in in space in in the warp, you know, in in this universe that. It's so easy to get lost that you yep. can't you can't ever really even find your way or go to an ally or another planet.
0: Yeah, that's true. And apparently if you get lost, it's really easy to lose your mind <laughs> because oh. you're in the realm of chaos and you could get attacked by demons at any moment. Warp travel is really dangerous um, for uh, Imperial. So you see it in the books all the time, talking about how warp travel is and how you're kind of taking a risk and you need a really good pilot to take a starship through and um that's why a lot of that's why a lot of people won't risk it unless they need to get somewhere um or they're called to battle and they'll just kind of drift through real space until you know they get a call from the you know the emperor and they're he's like we need you to go here but (laughs) even though he can't speak but (laughs) um yeah, it's supposed, supposedly very dangerous, um, a dangerous way to make, go across the universe. Um, a safer way is actually the way the Eldar travel. Um, they go through something called, uh, the webway, mm. which is not the warp. So the webway is like a labyrinth of tunnels, but if you know the webway, you could pretty much pop up anywhere in the universe and just kind of like do your thing and then pop back in. So that's, uh we we'll actually our next episode will be on Harlequins, so we'll get into the webway a little bit. Cool. Then. Now,
1: <laughs> yeah. Does anyone have access to the webway?
0: Har- Harlequins um, and some Eldar. Um, Eldar primarily, only Eldar. So
1: can you just roll up in in your in your spaceship and be like, hey, you know, let me in?
0: Uh probably not. Unless they say, unless they like kind of guide you. Okay. Um, it's now- like a maze. <laughs>
1: okay, I'll have more questions for 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 you on the Harlequin episode. This is that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, the Eldar mythology is really cool. Um, at least I I find it personally attractive. But you know that's neither here nor there. We're talking about astro-military so, yes. you know. Um, so for Cadia, their big role is um, reroll uh, ones to hit if you don't move. Right, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you if the Cadian gun line stays and they don't move at all you can re-roll your ones naturally without you know having not moved and then nice. in addition to that if you don't move and you um use the order take aim you don't really need to aim i guess in the the fluff of it because you're staying in one spot so right you already have in theory the added benefit of aiming so in addition to your rerolls of ones, you actually get to re-roll all hits. And I think there's mm. something that stacks on top of that. Um, you may be able to also re-roll all wounds as well.
0: Mm. And just so, for those of you listeners who don't really know what orders are, um, we'll cover that now because it's pretty important coming up. So um, essentially orders are unique to Astra Militarum. So we're going over right now all the... World trait, so you know you have a detachment and you select what world you're from, and then you gain a benefit. Your army gains a benefit if it's Battle Forge. So, um, in addition to that, every Imperial uh, Astra Militar, I'm sorry, I keep wanting to say Imperial Guard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they that used to be called for those of you who uh, are newer. But, anyways, um, so in addition to your trait, every uh, leader in like a commissar or, um, a tank, uh, what's that called? Tank commander, they can give orders. Um, and so you can give orders in your infantry and you can give orders, uh, between tanks and what orders are, is they're these special commands you give to units, um, that a leader can g- give out a certain amount to a certain amount of units within a certain range. And they allow you to, um, do some special abilities. Like, um, what's that one that you always use on me? Oh wow! Uh, or you always use um oh, I'm trying to think uh Well take aim. Take you use aim. that one yep. very often.
1: Well one um, I don't use that I think is probably one of the most important ones is overlapping fields of fire. No, actually that's uh that's a stratagem. That's my mistake.
0: Okay. Yeah. Not an order. Um so with IEG you have to think um in addition to things that every army, you know, does to make them work, you have key units, you have warlord traits. You have relics and then you have stratagems, but also with IG, you have this fifth field called orders. So, um, and they don't cost any command points. Um, they, you, your leaders get a certain amount that they can give per turn and you just kind of give them out at the beginning uh, of the shooting phase. Correct.
1: Yep. Uh, I actually think in,
0: yeah, in the beginning of the shooting phase. Cool. And some of them, I know one of them allows you to move again. Um, move, so move, move.
1: Very, you know, yes. very catchy.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. And they all kind of sound, they're, all the titles of them are very, like, military-esque. So when one, you play... One,
1: I believe one of them is uh, Fixed Bayonets, too. So if you're within one inch of an enemy unit, you can fight as if it were in the fight phase. Okay. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of things that you can do.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a ton of stuff and some of them affect infantry, some of them affect tanks and some of some units can't be affected at all. I think sentinels can't take orders, right? And ogres yeah. can't Ogres, I don't either, think.
1: So. Scions can take orders either since um but they they may. I have to check into that.
0: Mm. All right. So, those are orders. Um so Cadians are pretty much, you know, think of them as like if you're going to play an Imperial Guard gun line, you're most like so you're not planning on moving a lot, at least with your infantry, um, you're going to, you know, most likely take Cadian. So the next world uh, is Katagen or Kat- Katagen. Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Katagen rule, um, since we're on that topic, is plus one to strength, plus one to leadership for infantry and vehicles re-roll their number of shots. So if you have 2D6 shots, you get to re-roll it, which now may not... Some of these rules are... These are eighth rules. Um, and Lou and I, before the uh, before we started recording, we are talking about this. Um, some of these are not going to translate well into ninth. For example, this re-roll number of shots. Yeah, it could be good, but, you know, um, most likely with the blast rule, uh, <laughs> you're not going to really need to do that as much anymore. <coughs> excuse me. So, and yeah, mm-hmm. Lou, you agree with me on that? Like, you're not going to, if you get a minimum amount of shots, like say we're taking a Lehman Russ, um, and you, we have the battle cannon on there and you're rolling 2d6, you're already going to, if the squad and you're shooting at something that's a squad of 10, you're yeah. already going to output six damage, uh, or get six shots automatically. So,
1: well, you don't don't, know, you don't actually roll 2d6, um, it's actually one day six, and then with the proper order and grinding advance, you can actually fire again.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So, no, that's the technicality of it. But so, if you, you know, do roll, is...
1: like for example, um, you know, three shots. You know, that's the minimum you can get on something that has what six or more models, uh, six six to ten models. But with this rule, yeah. you can actually re-roll that and potentially get something higher um you know
0: i guess it's not so bad in the
1: minimum so you're basically just maximizing um you know the blast rule effect that which will be taking a you know right in ninth
0: but only for six to (laughs) ten models so i get
1: there will be instances when it probably you probably won't need it and then they'll probably and then some instances where you will
0: maybe like 50 50 Mm mm-hmm which is not necessarily great for like a rule that affects your whole army. Um, so in the eighth, it was great. So that's <laughs> um, always good to have an eighth to reroll, but eh, I don't know. I, I'm undecided on that. But anyway, so basically uh, Katachin are from, um, they're from a jungle world and they're like the, I don't know. I like to think of them as like our army, you know, a little bit. Like, um, you know, grit and you know, you know, get all the models are ridiculously ripped for some reason, so apparently, they um, they must be you know, making a lot of protein shakes on their world. Oh. But. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think they're really the most independent
0: of all of uh, the imperial guard, um,
1: you know, uh, like regiments,
0: yeah. They seem that way too. Um, and there's a few special characters in there that are, um, pretty interesting. So
1: here it says in the book, Catachan leaders typically eschew the privileges of authority instead of suffering through every hardship alongside their troops. So they all have their own
0: individuality. So, yeah, and that actually brings up a good point that I'm remembering. A lot of Katachin commanders, um, actually go into battle with, with their squads, um, They don't like commissars because, so in the um, Imperial Guard, commissars are hopped around from different world to different world um, and kind of put where they're needed to be to give command. So when a commissar comes and is trying to command and you have a sergeant who's catching and he knows all these dudes and he spent a lot of time with them and he charges, you know, through the front lines with them. And then oftentimes they won't listen to the commissars or respect them because um, they're not from their own planet and they don't, and they commissars usually sit back and let, you know, the grunts take all the damage, (laughs) so, um, Catechins have a problem with that, obviously, so, um, they get a little bit, uh, they're a little bit anti-authority there, but, um, they're cool, they're a cool faction, I mean, you, I think you probably see them second most often to Cadian, not in eighth, but, um, people just love painting them up because, yeah, go ahead. I guess uh like just looking at the pictures here, the
1: aesthetic of Catachan is just like gorilla fighters in Vietnam, like or predator. Or predator. <laughs>
0: I always think of predator, yeah.
1: <laughs> they have all like sleeveless tank tops and machetes and uh glistening
0: muscles. Glistening, yeah, eight-pack abs. <laughs> seriously their models are the most ripped I think in all of mankind (laughs) they've all got like a
1: bowie knife in their teeth
0: yeah (laughs) they're They're really cool great models yeah um so I guess uh you know go on to the next world uh the Valhallen um who live on Valhalla um, uh so um you can kind of guess where this is going they live on this kind of rune desert world um or sorry ice world that they had to because the uh condition you'll find this is very common through all of imperial guard worlds the conditions are so bad on the surface that they have to kind of mine down and live underground so Valhalla's do that uh because it's just you know think like negative 50 (laughs) fahrenheit it it says here
1: i did read that like if they they have a special thermal like trench coat it almost looks russian in a way and if they were ever to go to the surface without their special thermal coating on, that they would freeze in a matter of like a minute or
0: two. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm, so it's not as cold as I'm thinking. I'm, so it's probably as cold as like Antarctica or something. Um, and a lot of these, um, I think a lot of these, peop- uh, you know, worlds of the Imperium are kind of based, you know, just like Corey and I have often brought space marines back to a real time period. These also feels very similar. Like you said, they look very Russian-esque. Katachin kind of remind me of, you know, the good old USA. <laughs> and, um, I don't know about Cadians, but, um, some of these other places, uh, I'm getting some, you know, similarities to real world American military structures. So, or real, sorry, American real world military structures. And in, in our, you know, in our world that we live in, which is how GW does a lot of this stuff, but you know, it's still pretty cool, so.
1: <laughs> it's pretty interesting because the the planet of Valhalla wasn't always an ice planet. It was once mm. like a really fertile forest and had pl- open plains and a very temperate like environment. In the book, it describes it as a kind of paradise. Um, but then like one day, and I don't know how the whole story develops, but a massive like ice comet Knocks into the planet and it r- changes its orbit and it gets like flung out into space, and uh, and one percent uh, or ninety nine percent of the whole planet died, only one percent remained. Uh, oh wow! It's basically uninhabitable, and I and and when other forces come to Valhalla to try to invade it, they can't really stay. <laughs> that long? <laughs> Can
0: you imagine orcs? What the fuck is this?
1: <laughs> Actually, Valhalla fought orcs. I think on their home planet and ended up defeating them, um, and chasing them off the planet, uh, because they couldn't withstand um the, the environment. <laughs> they a, and I it said thinking, the only yeah. said the only reason they won. I mean, I don't know. The whole story is because they just stayed true to their value, which I, I also think is like a recurring theme and. All the imperial guard armies, they serve the emperor, so it's like the the righteous, zealous like way to to live. So mm. they never give up. Like even if you're the last person alive, like you have no choice, just but to keep going. And that that's what keeps, I mean, um, the imperial guard going. Really, like they can't. Yeah, they just never die because they just don't know well, how. how.
0: Yeah, well, what that comes down to is, so at least in my interpretation, um, so a lot of this world is trying to hark back to that spirit kind of in medieval times of kind of blind faith. So um, I, you know, like uh, we're talking like, you know, 1200s when the church, the Catholic church was huge in Europe. And I think, you know, this kind of dystopia, at least for the Imperium, is based off of especially for the Imperial Guard, is based off that you have blind faith, so you're more willing to sacrifice yourself um, for, the, for the cause of the Emperor. Um, and they definitely emulate that a lot. And the truest of the true of that are, you know, the Imperial Guard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Valhallen, um, Valhallen's rule, or their world rule on the table, is during field, failed leadership tests, half the models don't flee for infantry and then for vehicles you basically use uh you double the number of your wounds if you're so say you have six you double to 12 and you get to use the stat line um for for those tanks uh as if they haven't you know taken that damage so that basically ups their number of shots their movement um all that so that's actually really good um however this leadership (laughs) lou and i were also talking about this before the call this leadership um thing is going to be not so great in ninth um because leadership's being completely reworked so Mm -hmm. i guess we'll see but um all right so i guess we'll you know just keep checking these off (laughs) destroying um do you know i don't know too much about their lore um If you want to dive into that. Sure.
1: I mean, I don't know it in great detail, but luckily we have some resources. Um, (laughs) So I'm just going to read a little bit. Um, So the the Vestroians have been fighting to absolve themselves from this terrible shame that has been enacted on them because of... They don't really want to be too involved in all of the wars. They would rather stay on their home planet, which is very, like, steampunk. Like, they have all of these uh, facilities, and uh, it's very technical because they focus on arming the Imperial Guard uh, with tanks and guns, and that's their main focus, to keep the armies well-stocked and well-armed for the war. They would rather not fight. And I think... They committed this heresy by saying that they weren't going to fight, um, and it brought great shame on them because I'm sure they were penalized for some way, in some way. And to make up for the shame that they they have for not wanting to be more involved in the war, because pretty much life is war in 40K.
0: Um, well, Lou— um, just to interject quickly, they didn't fight in the Horus Heresy, which is even more of a big deal. <laughs> uh, okay. Great. So, yeah, <laughs> that's why it's such a big deal to them. Um, so for those of you who don't know, oh, sorry. No, no. no keep go going. Ahead. Uh, okay. For, so the Heresy is the big moment when, uh, the space mariner, uh, space marine legions, half of them go traitor and then the emperor gets killed. So, um, to kind of not fight in that war is a, uh, that's, you know, that was the war of all wars, basically. Um, the wars that kind of ended the way the Imperium had existed under the living emperor. So, um, that's probably why they feel so much guilt, but please go on.
1: So because of all of the reasons that Steve just said, <laughs> they feel so bad that in order to make up for it, they... Will give their firstborn child to the Imperial Guard, and they have to serve no matter where they go, no matter what age they are. They get them ready, they train them, and they ship them out. And then the rest of their focus is to keep arming and producing guns and tanks and uh, military supplies for the rest of the Imperial Guard. Um, and I and that's basically their story. You know, they one of the things it says here that I read is even though they, they produce all of these supplies and they send all their troops out, but most of what they make gets lost in the warp in space, <laughs> but they keep sending it out because it's their duty, but it just keeps getting destroyed. I'm sure, I'm sure some of it
0: gets to where it's supposed to be going. <laughs> Maybe half or less.
1: Yeah, probably left. Um, you know, but it says here, the opening of the Great Rift has not curbed the Vestroyan's steadfast loyalty towards the Imperium. So they just keeps keep sending stuff out. But
0: Oh, uh, that makes sense, actually. So the Great Rift is the, the thing I was talking about earlier. There's Cicatrix Meledictum. That's yep. also known as the Great Rift. Um, so when the galaxy was divided is probably actually why now they're having trouble sending out their weapons.
1: Mm. It says only the best Australian navigators must fly blind, trusting esoteric data charts. You know, yeah, and navigate the perilous, twisting warp. So, yeah, they are trying their best to to keep their honor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, they take a lot of. I think that culture, at least from what kind of how I I read it uh, a few weeks ago, and I was going over this stuff. Um, is that they have this like extreme guilt about you know not defending the emperor when they could have and so you know there's a certain amount of pride that they get from supporting the imperial guard um i think so when they give up their firstborn for example i remember reading in the codex they have a little story about this guy who was you know willingly gave like not just his firstborn he's like oh yeah all my guys are (laughs) they're going over um
1: i've got some cool stuff here actually the, the Vastroian people are very integrated into the tech triarchy. They have close ties to the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus. Oh, uh, yeah. With, like, the planet that they live on is basically, um, how do I say, the climate of, of vestroia is so adverse that they live within the skeletal remains of collapsed manufacturums and the born and you know, that's where they all learn about the skills of war in these old, in these old factories. That's basically their where their planet is. Um, they live underground in these old factories, and they alter, they alter sometimes their own physicality with, with cybernetics, similar to how Astra Milita- or um, the adeptus mechanicus do as well, because they're such uh-huh. a technology integrated like society. It's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, they don't. It and, doesn't really talk about them fighting much, um, which is why I like them a lot. That's the planet yeah. th- that I would probably go to out of all of these. <laughs> um,
0: and um, this whole relationship with Adeptus Mechanicus comes into their their rule. So their rule is they can add 6, in, six, six inch range to rapid fire and heavy weapons if they have a base range of twenty four inches or more. Okay. So all your big guns go even farther (laughs) so (laughs) I like that that's gonna be good in nine if they don't change it that's consistently good I think so um
1: painting uh, like a Vashoyan army would be really cool because it says that they don't use regular guns because their own personal guns that they use for themselves are like relics and all handcrafted they're all very uh, different to suit their own personal style
0: it would almost be cool to see them fielded with using some of the necromunda models out there Mm, that would be really really cool yeah because i know there's a lot of like makeshift i know uh your your little faction from necromunda like makes their own weapons and (laughs) yeah so um yeah very cool that's cool so there you go for if you're a modeler who wants something you know different that would absolutely i'd love to see that like some of the Necromundo weapons on like guardsmen, <laughs> <laughs> um, kit bash them or something. So, um, you know, that's destroying. Um, so we'll move on to, um, Armageddon. And I think, uh, I'm handling this one because yes, I, out of all the factions that, you know, just a preface, I don't play Imperial guard, but I, all the factions out there, I'm most attracted to Armageddon, specifically the steel Legion. So, Armageddon is basically the (laughs) always at war with orcs planet. (laughs) So um, they have a really, you know, like most of these planets, their environments uninhabitable. inhabitable, but this for the, uh, their reason is because there's a ton of toxic gases and um, mostly the gases. So on the surface um, you can't really breathe. So all of Armageddon, um, kind of lives under underground in like most of these worlds. And when they come up either to fight or I don't know, ration game, get rations, or I don't know why they would come up, but (laughs) when they come up, they, um, have to wear these gas masks. So actually on the field, all their, um, infantry members, and there's a steel legion box, um, steel legions, like a specific type of a troop that fights on Armageddon. Um, but, Uh, they're super cool models, so I don't know why you wouldn't use them if you're running Armageddon, but, and, um, their whole shtick is literally that they're always at war with, uh, uh, I forget his name, but this big orc war boss, um, and he's constantly invading their planet and, um, they're constantly fighting back. And there's been, I, I can't remember how many wars there have been, but there's been at least three or four Armageddon wars against the orc orcs in the recent years. And, um, again, for the conversion thing, um, <laughs> dead orcs all over your models would be completely acceptable for this faction. <laughs> so, um, super cool, I think. Um, and the way they fight their tactics are, um, they they like to be very mobile. So each, um, unit of guardsmen usually comes in a chimera so they're, you know, when you, I'm assuming, you know, if you put them down and you have a fluffier list, that um, everything would be in tanks at the beginning of the first turn, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so, I know Lou likes that at least. Oh yeah, I read
1: here uh, that on the planet of Armageddon, they are the number one Chimera manufacturer out of all of the, the different planets.
0: Yeah. And that's what, so they have easy access to Chimera. So, you know, if you have easy access to those why wouldn't you take them for every single infantry squad, right? So I'm sure that's that's kind of what they do. They
1: probably drive those around on the planet surface. They must have really good like HEPA filters in those.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they're really cool. Um, if I ever start an IG army, um, I would probably play Armageddon, but, um, their rule is that infantry can rapid fire at 18 inches. So, You don't have to do half the range, and that basically just affects LAS guns um, for the most part. However, um, all their vehicles also ignore one point of AP so um, when they get shot at. So that keeps those Camaras that you're probably going to take around a little bit longer so your infantry can get up close and at least within 18 inches. And they're kind of like a mobile gun line. So, you know, you move your tanks into position, you dump your troops out, and then you take rapid fire shots. So, um, pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then, um, I guess we'll move on to Talarn. Yeah. Talarn. Yep. Talarn. Yeah. Um, and you can take this one cause I really do not remember much about them. <laughs> so
1: I'm going to be referring to my handy dandy book here, uh, because Talarn is probably one of the, I think it's probably the third most popular that, that I've seen a regiment uh, for Imperial Guard. Um, but let's just see what we have. They're considered mobile guerrilla fighters, and they're very evasive uh, and oppo- opportunistic. So they're similar to, I feel like, Katachan in that way, because they're probably not, I don't think they're really that like direct. They they always wait for like the prime opportunity to attack instead of just like, rushing in maybe like some other factions would do. But the once fertile planet of Talarin was also destroyed during the Horus heresy when the iron warrior trader Legion launched a surprise attack.
0: And uh. then they actually <laughs> rained
1: down on the planet with virus bombs. And, uh, and most of the people died while they were attempting to escape, you know, and that's, that's what caused the planet to be such like uninhabitable, like all the other ones. Mm
0: yeah i know they they all have a so if you don't get this general theme here each planet has a way that it can no longer be lived in
1: (laughs) yeah they can't even go on the surface.
0: um i can see why they're taken um a lot because their rule is infantry if you take talarn your rule is infantry can shoot non-heavy weapons after advancing and still ignore your minus one to hit and vehicles can ignore penalties for moving and firing heavy weapons so that's very good (laughs) so that's an a plus in my book um
1: since they really can't fight head-on on on their planet um they i mean with the rule it makes sense that they would specialize in this type of like hit and run warfare
0: Um, yeah they're very mobile um being able to advance um, and always kind of shoot uh, makes your guardsman move just you know that much faster. So
1: eventually, uh, like after the planet was rained down with all these virus bombs, the virus like essentially dissipated, but the planet really never recovered. Mm. But that's a. Mm. Uh, That's their story. The warp storm continues, you know, and they just have to keep fighting on. Um, but they only live in like these little huts. I imagine it looks similar to like, uh, it's a, I mean, it's basically a desert planet now. So Mm -hmm. it reminds me of like, uh, Star Wars. Like they're all just living like in these tiny little mud huts. Like, like Tatooine. Yeah. Like it (laughs) looks. I I imagine it looks like Tatooine, but, uh, um,
0: (laughs) probably, um, that's cool. Yeah so um our last uh, faction that's in the book is um, mordian so I'll just do the rule real quick um, so infantry get plus one leadership and plus one to hit on overwatch um, if every, if every other's models models base is touching at least one other models so that means you have to have basically a gun line set up to get that benefit um, and then vehicles get a plus one hit on overwatch if they're within three inches of another vehicle so that's pretty good that's good in eighth um i don't know how often you know people are going to in the future we'll see how often people use a command point to overwatch i'm assuming it i'm assuming that stratagem is going to be a little bit like the uh the re-roll command re-roll um like you use it sometimes but not all the time um when you really need it you use it um so overwatch is that's, that one kind of got nerfed because Overwatch is not as much of an integral part of the game anymore, uh, or it's not going to be. No um, one's, one's going to play on, Morty anymore. Well, until they get rewritten. Um, maybe maybe for them, just like Tau, um, Overwatch will be free instead, and then you'll see them oh. a lot. Of, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. That is a total guess here, but um, if they want to remain consistent with some kind of Overwatch rule, they could just rewrite rewrite that. So. Um, you get some benefit or you get a command point, you get to roll like a D6 when you overwatch and on like a four up, you get the command point back or something. That's kind of where, where I'm guessing they'll go. Mm. Um, which in that case, it'll be, you know, pretty decent. So because a 50-50 shot at getting your command point back um, when you overwatch gives you more incentive to overwatch. So, yeah. Um, and I, again, they're another... Faction I am blanking on, so if you want to fill us in, Lou.
1: You know what? My book actually doesn't have Mordian in here, so I, I know nothing about uh, Mordian other than the flavor text here in the Regimental Doctrine, which says, The Mordian regiments are proud, unyielding soldiers. They fight and die facing the enemy, which I feel like is every Imperial Guard ever. <laughs> yeah. Standing tall in the ordered ranks and unleashing a devastated, full of las fire.
0: So mm, I think I think Mordians are the ones who are a little bit more preemptive to kind of just give their lives over, although it seems like. So if you if we learned nothing, I bet we could guess their world is probably either destroyed or in, uninhabitable. Unin, <laughs> 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 and they always, you know, fight to the last man. So, you know, that's Mordian in a nutshell, right? <laughs> that's
1: a, Yeah, we could just <laughs> every Imperial Guard regiment ever.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, uh, so moving on to I just wanted to mention this last world um i don't know too much about their lore except for the fact that all their models are Forge world and they're called a death corpse of creek um i think they run out of armageddon to be honest with you okay. um however they have special rules um, or special squads you can take um lou and i just started looking at the some of the astro term stuff on Forge world and if you don't want to end up broke, don't look. (laughs) Yeah, they're way
1: too cool and they're way too expensive.
0: They are very cool. I think there's like, I don't know, there's something like some insane amount of tanks, like 20 extra tanks you can take and all this crazy, like art- artillery stuff. And, uh, oh man, it's just a little overwhelming and it's all expensive because it's Forge World. So if you want to keep, you know, your wife happy, <laughs> yeah, do not, do not go to Forge World. If you're an Astro Militarium player and start looking around, um, it'll be a click hole that you won't recover from financially. So <laughs> oh, yeah. just have to mention them though. Cause they're super cool. Um, but anyways, without further ado, um Let's move on to some gameplay um, and really, like, kind of, you know, get that going. So So I think first off— Steve, before we uh,
1: go on to this next topic, there is one regimental doctrine that we missed, actually. Oh, really? And it's the Militarum Tempestus Stormtroopers. And uh, uh, the Tempestus units are a particular type of units that can deep strike on the board. They're basically, like, special op units— that have a slightly shorter range, but they they still have rapid fire, and they have a special gun called the Hotshot Um, And their rule is, if a model with this Doctrine is shooting a target half range or less, it can make an extra shot with the same weapon at the same target. For each hit roll of six oh, wow. plus you make for that model. So every time you roll a six or more, not that it's possible, but you get to make an extra shot with that same weapon, and these shots um, don't generate any additional shots. So you can't just keep rolling sixes to get more shots.
0: Yeah, you but get an extra hit.
1: They're a pretty strong unit because considering, um, you know, a normal LAS gun only, you know, hits with no AP bonus, the, the and Tempestis unit, since they're more specialized, when they deep strike in, if you choose to do that, um, their guns do actually have um, similar stats, but they do have uh the AP bonus as well better for killing um you know more specialized infantry
0: yeah and um uh i don't know where i was going with that so never mind but well, yes absolutely well you want to
1: talk <laughs> uh about some of the gameplay mechanics and one of yeah. the primary objectives is to capture objectives um you know and these military tempestus units are one of uh, the only infantry units that can deep strike onto the board. Um, And that gives them a special advantage. A lot of people take them because of their mobility. You can really put them anywhere.
0: Absolutely, and uh, they also have a lot of specialized stratagems for that um, kind of unit. So um, you can do a lot more with them than just kind of what's on their stat sheet. Mm. So. Cool. Yeah. So moving on to gameplay, I guess, first off, um, I'm just going to go over the key strengths of playing Astro Militarum and the key weaknesses. So, um, key strengths are, you have a lot of effective shooting. Um, you have a lot of bodies usually, um, which may not be a strength anymore, um, given blast (laughs) weapons. Um, but, you you can give orders, which is unique to them, and they pretty much have something they can do at every point in the game. So there's a stratagem, you know, that can help you in the morale phase or shooting or movement, uh, even in your enemy's turn. So um, they have a lot of flexibility on that end. So that's really good. Um, I think Eldar are, for me, the only other army that can really affect every part of the game. Um so those are the strengths and, um, their key weaknesses are, uh, you know, first off their T three toughness three across the board. They have f- terrible five up saves, um, with no invulns. Um, their vehicles are relatively vulnerable to high damage output weapons. Um, the ballistic scale of four up, isn't that great. And as you know, Lou and I have kind of experienced, uh, it gets a, it's a little bit harder to get a hang of their synergy um mm. with and u- using some of their power ups and getting your units to do what they should be doing just a, it's just a little bit of a learning curve it's not really i wouldn't call that a weakness um unless you're a new player i guess but so uh, you know i think yeah, yeah. so they're a great they're, actually, they're a great army if you are not looking for something terribly quick if you're looking for a lot of big guns, if you're looking for something um, that can kind of have a lot of board presence given their models, um, so they can spread out pretty well unless they get tucked into a corner, um, which it, with a gunline version of this is um, a little easier to get, um, you know, caught up in that trap. Um, so they have a lot of, you know, they have a lot of really positive weaknesses um, for their army, um, and some of these. Uh, I mean, strength, sorry. And some of these weaknesses are, um, either have to kind of just accept, um, or there are some ways to work around that. Um, well, I think for one point, you know, the Lehman Russ itself is a super good vehicle. And even though it's kind of vulnerable, you take a lot of them for cheap. <laughs> so that kind of mitigates some of the, um, you know, them being a little bit vulnerable to multi-damage weapons, but, you know, in eighth addition to, uh, most vehicles, unless they have an invulner or something are pretty susceptible to, um, multi-damage, uh, weapons. So that's not uncommon. I think it's just kind of a addition thing. So, um,
1: I think across the board, most, uh, like Ashramilitarum vehicles you have a toughness of eight, which I think is kinda of like the boilerplate for any like real tank or uh things like that. That's kind of the
0: that's kind of the minimum, which is yeah. you know why they say that they're a little bit more vulnerable. Because um, strength eight, uh like you don't need a las cannon to, you know, wound on a four up, which right. is pretty good. So um I mean it's pretty bad from ashramilitarum's end, um, but they're easy to put wounds on. Um, Even with plasma weapons, um, as Lou (laughs) is all too familiar with. Yes, I've (laughs) cried many a tear. (laughs) Probably been up at night because of dreaming of (laughs) plasma destroying your tanks. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) And uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, that's because I play Dark Angels. um, And often will play Lou with my Dark Angels. And yeah, we're just a plasma army. I'm only
1: playing tanks that are designed to explode in your face, so...
0: We'll have fun with that. So unless I blow them up around your dudes, then you're going to be a little pissed. I'm going
1: to deep strike my tanks on your units. I don't think that's possible, but that'd be funny. No, it's not, but it would be funny. I'm going to have four Maybe drop I'll...
0: pods carried
1: down a tank right on top of you.
0: Um, yeah. So um, I guess we'll just, you know, kind of move through these. Um, so we're going to, you know, next talk about uh, key warlord traits. So we only have two, Two well, I know Lou might have a few more, but I only highlighted two. And this is because you know there's a lot of warlord traits out there, and some of them are army specific. However, we just kind of wanted to point out some of the great ones. Um, so and this will be important moving into ninth. One warlord trait is called Grand Strategist. So one of the benefits of Imperial Guard or Astro Militarum, in my opinion, is that they have a lot of different ways to get back command points, and that is in eighth that was super important in ninth it's going to be like an added bonus to get your units able to do what they need to do so um one of the main things here is um grand strategist this is a warlord trait that gives you command points back five plus um and it also gives you a little aura that lets you re-roll to hit um for units within six inches so that's a pretty decent warlord trait um, and then um, the other one that I pointed out was it's called Old Grudges. Um, you pick one enemy unit at the end of deployment, and this gives the Warlord um, and anyone within six inches a reroll to wound against that unit, which is, you know, super. Uh, this is a straight reroll. This isn't, you know, just rerolls of ones. So you get to reroll all wounds, um, which is great. So, you know. Those are the two I highlighted. I know there's a lot more out there. Um, Lou, do you have any kind of more to add before? Could, we're going to start opening this conversation up when we hit units and stratagems. Right. So, <laughs>
1: I mean, I um, see 14 Warlord traits right here. And, and um, you know, the Warlord traits are specific a lot of times to the regiment that you choose. Right. Um, so, for example, I know we were talking about command points uh, being refunded. Um, there is an additional Cadian uh, Warlord trait where... Every time your Warlord issues an order or a tank order on a 4-up... Oh, that's my mistake, actually. Um, These are actually the Warlord Tracer additional bonuses. um, And the Cadian one actually doesn't affect uh, Command Points, but it actually can uh, double the orders that you can give with one of your tank orders or Warlord uh, on your Warlord. But... um, there is fourteen altogether. There's one, two, three, four, eight regimental warlord traits that you could take depending on which regiment you have, and then there's the yep. six basic ones that I see here.
0: Yeah, and I, I the two I pointed out are kind of the. Um, the most popular. I think anyone can take them. No, no, not most popular, but they're really good, and I think anyone can take them regardless of regiment.
1: Yeah, I've seen Grand Serato just use quite a bit.
0: Um, yeah, me too.
1: What what Every I've time I play that.
0: IG. <laughs> it's so when important. But it's
1: not you. Because without their synergy, IG has a really hard time keeping up, you know. Um, yeah. So they need as many command points as possible. And those command points go quick. You can use You can use probably half of your command points in a single turn.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, like you said too, um, they are very, very, very uh, reliant on their uh, ability to use stratagems. And so you kind of, you absolutely need to maximize your command points with them. Um, They're one of those armies that if stratagems didn't exist, they kind of would usually get blown off the table, I think. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, um, I mean, a lot of armies are structured that way now though. So they're not alone, but Um, They definitely are more CP hungry than some other armies.
1: So like some of the the basic traits I see here for other warlord uh, traits is um, some of them are if your warlord is within other range of your units, they can reroll all failed wounds. So there's one that one's called old grudges. Um, implicable determination.
0: Yeah, that's Lou, that's the one I just uh mentioned like pointed out.
1: That's a really good, That's a really good one. I'm I'm gonna have to consider that. Yeah. Imagine re-rolling all failed hits in all failed wounds. So
0: Yeah, and within six inches though. So wherever your warlord is is kind of bene- benefiting from that. And with Kadia, yeah, if you put your warlord in your gun line, absolutely.
1: Yeah, he'll just be chilling, give him a beer and
0: <laughs> <laughs> let you re roll all those wounds. <laughs>
1: And then there's another one, Implicable Determination. When you advance, uh, you can add six inches to whatever your advance roll is. So, oh, yeah. So that's
0: you add six, or it is a six? It says. Instead of rolling.
1: You may add six to your move characteristic for that movement phase instead of rolling a dice. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So I actually remember when I was putting together a fun roster for. Um, I, Steel Legion, I chose that Warlord trait so that they could move quicker. <laughs> wow. That's
1: really, I mean, imagine because they don't really move that quick to begin with. They only move like six inches. So imagine yeah. be, moving 12 inches with an infantry unit. That's a lot.
0: Right. Or if you're in a tank that's moving 12 plus up to 18. Yeah, that's really good. So.
1: And then, uh, Draconian Disciplinarian. Um, basically, if you're within 6 inches of your Warlord, you get to reroll failed morale tests. Uh, yeah, these are all basic ones. Bellowing voice, uh, if you're within 3 inches of your Warlord. Um, actually, your Warlord gains 3 inches to any of their abilities and auras. So instead of usually it being like a 6-inch aura, it'll be like a 9-inch aura. Um,
0: which is pretty decent. I get a little bit more board presence there,
1: so... And then, uh, the last of the basic warlord traits, uh, master of command, your warlord gains the voice of command ability, um, which allows you to either give tank orders or, uh, voice of command orders for infantry. Um, you get one additional order per turn.
0: Cool. Um, all right, cool. So just, uh, for time's sake, um, we're not going to go through all the relics, but I did want to point out one key one. Um, So they have a lot of standard relics. They have a lot of relics that upgrade your weaponry like every other army. Uh, And they have some that are really good. But I think one of the best ones is called uh, Kuroi's Aquilia. Each time uh, an opponent uses a stratagem. So if you take that with the the warlord trait, where on a 5-up you get CP back, um, with this relic, every time your opponent uses a stratagem, on a 5-up you get command points back. So you could be generating... From you using stratagems, you can get command points back. And then from your opponent using stratagems, you get command points back with those two with that warlord trait and that relic in a detachment. So it's pretty good. <laughs> that means anytime someone uses a stratagem, you have a forty percent chance that you get your command point back. So um I just wanted to highlight that one and um I guess uh let's move into some of the stratagems, Lou. Um cool.
1: I mentioned yeah. earlier in the episode that one uh well Imperial Guard in the Eighth Edition meta um, has a lot and lot a lot of units. Specifically, lists are running, from what I see, like eight or nine units of infantry, just of Imperial Guardsmen, and their strength is in their numbers because, despite whatever the flavor text says about them being expert marksmen at the age of four, uh, <laughs> which they're not. Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, it, I think it's actually the age of seven. But at the age of four, they can dis uh, they can dismantle an entire lasgun and put it together and with expert precision. But at the age of seven, they're all expert marksmen, which doesn't make any sense to me because they have a. I think they have a four up ballistic skill. So yeah, if four if you're, up
0: across the board. If
1: you're an expert <laughs> marksman and you're only hitting, what twenty percent, forty percent of the time, you're probably you're not even hitting your target. You're not. An, you're it's, not. Yeah, I think it's
0: fifty. I think it's fifty percent of the time. But even still,
1: well, with the rear rolls, maybe yeah. Um, no, four
0: up is fifty percent. Okay.
1: So, but their real strength is in the amount of fire they put out because the last guns are rapid fire, and if you have a full unit, um, you could put out close to forty shots with just one unit of Imperial Guardsmen. But the real
0: they're p- kind of a pure DACA like just pure, you know, amount of rolls will get, you, you know, some wounds are going to go through. So, so imagine I, great.
1: you have like nine units of Imperial Guardsmen. They're all shooting at this massive behemoth of a thing. And their their bullets are just, they're all missing. Some of them are piercing. It's not really <laughs> doing a lot of damage. There's a stratagem to help you um, called overlapping fields of fire. Um, and when you use this uh, stratagem after a Cadian unit, uh, which is maybe like 10 guardsmen uh, inflicts an unsaved wound on an enemy other guardsmen can add one to their hit rolls against that same unit um, which makes a huge difference like, I mean if they're only if they're hitting on a four up now every other imperial Guardsman that shoots at that same unit is hitting on a three up and then re-rolling ones and then re-rolling all failed hits if they haven't moved if you're giving them the take aim order so, that gives them a significantly higher uh, probability of getting all those wounds. In with the pure with <laughs> yeah. pure daca.
0: Um, exactly, and as you'll see too, when we as we go forward talking about these stratagems and these specific units, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of Imperial Guard relies on this like heavy synergy. So you give an order, and but you should know what you're going to do with your stratagems kind of a little bit ahead of time. So, you know, you know where you are on the board, you know, kind of your range. Um, and then you kind of know what order you're going to give and then what strategy you'll use to supplement that order. And I think that's the way that, you know, you sh- if you're an Imperial Guard player or you're thinking about the Imperial Guard, like think about that kind of like combo moves where, you know, you have your guys on the board, they're in a certain area, you're in range of something. So how are you going to, you know, give the order? And then on that second level, you have to think about, well, then what's your strategy I'm going to do in order to kind of combo with that order to make them the most effective unit that you can have um, at the time. So that's just, you know, I just, sorry, Lou, I just kind of wanted to note Uh, that because you'll see more and more, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, give them this order and then you can also use a stratagem and then you have this like huge combo. So.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. And when you're creating all of these strategies and synergies, the Imperial Guard really shouldn't be Focusing on multiple targets of the enemy army, they yeah. really specialize in like in the last stratagem, overlapping fields of fire, killing one thing at a time and then moving on to the next one. Um, and that's uh,
0: another you know point to when you play them. Um, they're going to be most effective if you concentrate fire till that thing's gone and then move on to the next um, threat. So.
1: Yes, and then one, you know, one of the other synergies that I've been looking up online um, is the take cover uh, stratagem, um, and you know, it really in Ninth Edition, it's not going to have the same uh, efficacy as it did in. I think in, it in, might in,
0: actually, really, because um, we're getting much more solid cover rules in Ninth. So I think adding one. Um, I mean, it's still going to be effective, man. You can be out in the open, and you have a plus one saving throw. So, that, you know, for normal guardsmen that at least gives you a four up, which is great uh, compared to their five up. True.
1: So the take cover stratagem, it says, bum, bum, bum you select one of your units as a target, and then you add one to your saving throw until the end of the phase. And even though in ninth, you're not going to be able to add multiple saving throws or get a cover save and a take cover bonus I don't think I
0: think you actually will be um, oh. I don't think they cap the saving throw they do cap however hit adding one to your hit or adding one to your wound rolls okay. I don't think the saving throw is affected in the same way
1: alright so one of the other synergies like let's just say you know that's true uh, that would be really awesome because you can stack your saving throws with take cover you could be in cover you can get an additional saving throw and there are other uh things that you can do to either make it so that your opponent has lesser of a chance to hit you. So they have a minus to their hits and you have a plus to your saving throw, or you could even stack one or two saving throws on top of each other. For example, yeah, I'm, if not, a, if a I'm leader, not sure how
0: you can do that. Um, so
1: for example, if uh, um, I'm trying to think in, in the instance of a tank or for the Imperial guardsmen, but uh, like, for example, I don't think take cover it only has i think it only takes effect for infantry units but it says select only select one unit as a target so i guess you can give take cover to anyone
0: yeah oh. if you pay the cp you can give it to anyone um in addition to uh just to note you're not going to be able to stack the way the stratagem is written um it adds one to saving throws as if the unit was in cover from shooting so you're not going to if they're in cover, you're not going to get an additional bonus. It'll just be your cover bonus.
1: So let's just say I have my Lehman Russ and I'm just kind of like talking about the, how the stratagems go together. And I pop my smoke, which makes it so that I have um, an additional saving throw. Um, and then I ta- then I use the stratagem take cover uh, on top of my Lehman Russ, giving it.
0: Well, that'll definitely make it more durable, what what that actually does. So smoke gives gives, uh, enemy units a minus one to hit. So they'll have a minus one to hit, plus you'll have a plus one on your saving throw, which is still making the tank more durable, just in a different way.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's really good. And then there's an additional thing that you can do if you are running any psychers. um, You can have psychic abilities. Either give your opponent negative one to hit as well, or an additional saving throw to one of your friendly units too. Um, so that's a pretty cool, uh, synergy that I've been reading up on, um, you know, with the take cover stratagem.
0: That's a great, I mean, that's actually on my list to, to talk about. So I'm glad we got there because that's a, I think it's a great, um, that's a great stratagem. Uh, and I think it's only one CP, so super cheap. Um, you should be using it, <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, Lou, cause here's a big one that we've kind of haven't, uh, mentioned, do you want to explain kind of like the tank case
1: stuff? <laughs> uh, so to tell you the truth, I'm not entirely familiar with the, what tank case does entirely. Um, I don't have it here in my book, unfortunately. So I might actually, I might have to get back to you on that one.
0: Okay. I uh, think that's in the uh, psychic awakening book. Um, so they made this, as far as I know, they made this new thing called, tank ace um and essentially what is it what it does is it gives you m- more powers to your leeman rust battle tanks so um without knowing exactly you know i'm sure i have a game against i'm pretty sure i have a game against extra military, military tomorrow so i will find out quickly what tank ace is because i'm going to assume they're, <laughs> they're taking it um because most people nowadays uh make detachments with um what are those specialty tank detachments the ones you're running? I have the Emperor Fist, I think, tank detachment. Yeah, and then they use Tank Ace in that detachment, um, and it gives you more bonuses. I, I, You know, maybe we don't cover that now because neither of us really know, but Tank Ace is out there, and it's supposedly really good, um, so, so <laughs> look it up on your own.
1: <laughs> actually, you know, I think this is uh, the Tank Ace is, um, instead of putting a Warlord trait on one of your tanks, I think... Uh, Let's see. Da, 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 da. I'm trying to look uh, here. I'm trying to Google it. But yeah, I don't I don't uh here it is. Use this strategy before the battle. Select like one astro militarum vehicle model without the Brood Brothers keyword. So uh you give that tank the tank a take tank ace ability from the corresponding list below, and the name characteristics cannot be given a tank ability. Okay, so you can't give any named characteristics tank ace abilities. Um, But they've got Master Mechanic, Slow and Purposeful, Weapon Expert, Armored Rush, Up Armored, and Steel Commander. And I don't remember what I gave. I have a tank ace on my list, and I'm still learning about the... Since I don't have that many games under my belt, I'm still learning about all of the effects of all of this. But I do have a list here, so we can go down and just take a little peek.
0: Yeah, knock them off. <laughs> so, Master
1: Mechanic, when you make an attack with uh, one of your tank aces with a ranged weapon, um, reduce the damage characteristic of that weapon by one. When resolving an attack made with a ranged weapon against your tank ace. see. Right. So, whenever... You just reduce the damage characteristic by one for attacks made against you. uh, To a minimum of one. To a minimum of one. I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. So you're a master mechanic. So you take less damage from enemy ranged weapons. Slow and purposeful. In your shooting phase uh, with the Stank Ace when resolving an attack made by this model, if it did not move or moved a distance less than or half... In the next movement phase, you can re-roll a wound roll of one. Slow and purposeful. Which is not that bad considering that heavy weapons already take a negative one penalty to hit if you move more than half your movement with a tank. Mm -hmm. So if you don't plan on going very far with your tanks, that might be a pretty good tank ace to take. Absolutely. Re-rolling wounds of one. Weapon expert. Uh, so, improve the armor penetration characteristic, your AP, of your turret weapons. This model is equipped with by one. So, if you have an AP of zero on your battle cannon, which you don't, uh, it becomes, it would become an AP. So, I, the negative AP for the battle cannon, I believe, is negative two, I think. Um, so then it would become a negative three AP. So you, weapon- and
0: that increases across the board. So a last cannon on a tank with that uh, tank ace ability would be negative five AP.
1: Yeah, because it's weapons plural. Wow, that's really interesting. So they all have uh, an additional AP char- um characteristic. Not bad. But I think that's what actually when I'm running on my on my uh, on my on my tank. I'm running plasma tanks, so I'm probably going to have like negative five, negative four AP on my shots. Arm. Yeah. Which, which I think will be nice. And then, ar- <laughs> Armored Rush is our next one. In your shooting phase, this Tank Ace model can shoot with turret weapons. It is equipped with even if it advances this turn. Okay, that might be good for like Talarin, who has extra movement and hit and run tactics. So they're they won't have any penalty like that.
0: Yeah, it makes it just makes your tanks a little bit more mobile and still able to fire without any penalties. So.
1: This is also a pretty good one, since uh, I think the regular save for uh, Lehman Ross is like a four up. Uh, This one for Tank Ace is called Up Armored, and the Tank Ace model has a save characteristics of two plus. So if you roll a two, Mm. then you hit your you make your save characteristic. So even if even if you got shot with a negative AP two weapon, you're still saving on your normal throw of four.
0: Yeah. And so, as you can see, too, with these tank ace abilities, um, combining them with some of these stratagems just makes your tanks a little bit more durable. So, um, you know, so Lehman Russes don't just get blown, blown off the board, <laughs> which is also, you know, thinking about this from a points perspective, this some of this, these abilities, I still think the Lehman Russ is a little under <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, it would be really cool but, to give like one of your named tank commanders uh, a tank ace, but unfortunately, since it has a name, you wouldn't be able to do that. Like Tank Commander Pask, for example. Yeah. He would be too powerful.
0: I think he's the only tank character in the book, mm. uh, if I remember correctly. So
1: last but not least, uh, Steel Commander is the last tank ace ability, and that gives your tank commander models um, an additional tank order each turn. So Mm. tanks can all give orders to themselves. They can't give orders to any other infantry units, but they rely on each other to stay in coherency, a six-inch coherency, so that they can keep buffing each other each turn um, because they do have some pretty powerful orders that they can give each other. But that's the last one. Yeah. Not too bad.
0: And, um, I mean, all those are really good. So tank case is kind of a must-have, I think, um, in terms of stratagems. You You should be using that. It cost, Every game,
1: It costs one command point right from the rip, but it's well worth it. Yeah,
0: And in ninth, you're going to have to declare your tank ace rule. Like you can't adjust it game over game before the battle starts. So just, you know, keep in mind what you're trying to do when you build your roster and, um, you know, take tank ace and then adjust your power based on, you know, kind of what your units are doing. So, yeah, great. I'm glad we got to cover that. Um, yeah cause that's essential. So (laughs) we're learning, Um, we're both learning a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so a few more, so one, I think that, um, is underused that is super effective. Um, so in, I think this is in psychic awakening, um, the book, I believe it's with the Tyranids are also in that book. Um, but it's called the stratagem called precision drop, and for one uh, command point, you can deep strike your unit within five inches of any enemy model rather than nine. So Basically, it um, that opens up a be, lot of options.
1: <laughs> you're automatically hitting in rapid fire range. You're automatically going to be able to land your charge no matter what.
0: Uh, Probably, and roll terribly, but <laughs>
1: statistically, right, um, you should be able to. Yeah, get it.
0: I mean. Yeah, you should be able to it's only 4-inch charge. So um that goes from a 10-inch charge to a 4-inch charge, which is um that's really good. Um I only know of one other army that can deep strike closer than 9 and that's the Dark Angels. <laughs> but, <laughs> um that's a great, I mean, one command point. Um if you're bringing reinforcements, uh that's I mean, your sentinels could go, you know. Oh no, they infiltrate, they don't deep strike, but um, scions five inches you're getting all your rapid fire and you're making sure you tie up that unit so that's super effective for like um, breaking some of your enemies lines um, maybe taking up a uh, you know a unit that has a lot of firepower taking them you know out of the picture for the next turn so um, that just gives you a little bit more mobility in your deep strike abilities so um, I really like that one you know <laughs> Um, another one that we wanted to highlight, they have one called progeny of conflict. Um, and a lot of armies have these types of, um, stratagems. This just allows you to take uh, an extra warlord trait for a military tempestus character. So if you take a warlord trait on your normal character and then you take one on a military tempestus character, you know, it just gives you a little bit extra oomph to your game. So, and, uh, Lou, did you have any that you wanted to point out before we kind of like move into
1: I'm trying to think. I mean, always you got you can you have the opportunity to roll an additional, you re-roll an additional dice, which I think is extraordinarily crucial if you're trying to land a charge, or if you're trying to save one particular model, if you're trying to take one of the enemy models off the board to get either first blood or something like that. So you always want to be mindful that you can re-roll um, any particular dice roll um, for a command point, I believe.
0: Yeah, every army has that too. So you know, just to to say that command re-roll is essential when you're playing, um, I know people who use it more than once a game because it's good.
1: So, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple uh, of really cool ones in here, and I don't know how effective they are really, but one of my favorites, just like like how I imagine it happening, like in the flavor of the text and everything, is imagine you have your your models, your Imperial Guard models, your your infantry, they're chilling there, they're getting ripped to shreds. Um, you can actually, with a model that's equipped with a Voxcaster, um, use the order fire on my position. And before the last model dies, um, before you remove that model, you roll a D6 for each unit within three inches of your last guy. Um, and shells from space, from the sky, come raining down on every single unit within three inches of your guy. Basically, he's sacrificing himself because he knows he's going to die by calling in an uh, arterial strike. And every unit within three inches of him takes uh, 3D mortal wounds on a 4-up. Yeah. So imagine you just That's take <laughs> your last guy in, you charge him into battle, you cast the order, and then you are mortal wounds on everyone that is around him. It's three command points. I don't know if it's really worth it, but... Uh, I think yeah. it's really cool to imagine like this one little guy is just sacrificing himself to... Uh,
0: I think di- I've done something like that to you. So, a lot of these armies in 8th had a stratagem like that, and I think I've done something like that to you with my Tau. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just like,
1: I bet you did. Orbital strikes or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fucking hate the Tau. <laughs> Me too, but... Um, I think another
1: I important one is since the way that Imperial Guard was played in 9th or 8th, uh, was they had so many infantry models on the board. They were always swarming. One of their strengths was in their numbers. So if your squads were ever dwindling and they were failing leadership roles or something, you can actually consolidate your squads together. Um, and I'm just looking for that stratagem now, but you can essentially take a unit of 10 guardsmen, a unit of 10 guardsmen, and you can combine them and it could be 20 guardsmen in the same unit now. Um, And I'm not entirely sure what the theory is, what the benefit of that is entirely. Um, I haven't strategized that way, but I know that that could be a really effective um, stratagem here in the book.
0: In eighth, at least, I think, um, well, if you had squads of five or something, or you had two or three guys and you wanted to make a squad of five, um, so you're above your Cause in, in ninth, uh, what's going to become important is, um, like minimum unit strength. Um, so if you're below half of the models that you have, so, uh, you're going to see, I think that'd be played so that you can bring your unit back up to, you know, like a regular strength unit. So.
1: Yeah. It's called consolidate squads. It costs one command point and you, you just have to get your unit, your infantry squads within two inches of each other. And then they merge into a single unit. Of course, there's all the basic ones that you can heal wounds on your tanks with mechanics, or you can um, uh, basically interrupt your enemy charge phase. And you've got ones that help you have better hits on your overwatch. And all kinds of stuff. Basically, help your wound traits, help your hit traits, help your overwatch, help your charging... Like Steve said earlier, they really have a stratagem for everything um, that you would ever imagine that you need to do. They're very well-rounded in the stratagems, but you also need to know how to synergize them to make them effective. Uh, yeah, definitely. You can't, you can't be all over the board with the Imperial card. You really
0: need to know what direction you're going in. Otherwise, it's more like um, there are certain armies that you can kind of you know get around knowing your stratagems or you know a few to make them work. Um, it's kind of like you're playing like street fighter, you know, you really got to know your combos in order to make some of those power, you know, power moves. Um, and they're definitely one army that works like that. Um, there are others out there. Um, Eldar to me have always been like that too. Um, and I know I'm mentioning them a lot, but I'm also reading the Harlequins codex. So, (laughs) um, but they, they do rely a lot on, you know, just like Imperial guard, um, you've got to kind of, you got to get those combos to get the maximum, you know, output of damage or, you know, mobility from your army, um, or durability even just to keep your tanks around a little bit longer. So, um, yeah. Uh, and with that, I think, uh, we'll move into sort of the last segment that we have planned tonight, um, which is just kind of pointing out some key units here. Um, obviously first off, I'll just go with this one Lou right off the bat. Um, The Lehman Russ battle tank. All right. (laughs) Um, I think we can just kind of like talk about these units. We don't necessarily need to get in their stat line um, unless, you know, we're talking about something specific, but so Lehman Russes are kind of a staple uh, and this is also involving tank tank commanders who also ride in Lehman Russes. They just have the ability to give orders, um, tank orders. So I mean, Lehman Rust battle tanks are the staple of the Imperial Guard armies these days. Um, they have a turret weapon, and because of um, their special ability, um, they can fire their turret weapon twice. Plus, they have the potential to take two sponsons as well as a pintle mount. So, um, they're and they're cheap. They're like a hundred and. What is it? Base one hundred forty, something like that, in eighth.
1: Yeah, if you're not playing a tank commander, um, yeah, they're in the mid one hundreds, uh, just to start.
0: With uh, like ten wounds, I think I believe, or
1: twelve. Uh, I do think. Let's just take a peek here. They have twelve wounds apiece. Yes.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you know, that's a pretty beefy tank for one hundred and forty points.
1: So with the three up save, actually, I thought it was lower. I thought it was higher than that. But they all have three up saves at full wounds.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're good. They're, you know, they are uh, super effective. I can't stand playing guards sometimes because, you know, they're going to have them. So, you know, you have to deal with them. <laughs> 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 um, and it's kind of a staple of every list, I think, um, in the eighth, at least. I, and I think depending on the points adjustment, that's going to be pretty consistent in ninth as well. Um, and then the second staple, I think, um, is the guardsman. The infantry themselves. Um, pretty much every list you see has Lehman Russes and a shitload of guardsmen. <laughs>
1: can you can you even put uh, an Imperial list together without guardsmen? I don't think it's no. I don't think it's legal.
0: Um, if you were doing some kind of weird detachment, sure, because um, then you can not have troops. Um, but I don't think it would play very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm only thinking like you could technically if say you were a space Marine player and you wanted access in ninth, this is you're going to be de-incentivized from doing this, but you can still technically do it. Um, if you want access to a few of the tanks, you can make a detachment with just a commissar and three Lehman Russes uh, and add it to like a space Marine um, army, but uh, it doesn't work well. No. Um, Cause that you know not you sense. don't get all that. Well, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Imperial guards have, rely heavily reliant on synergy and in army symmetry, sy- synergy so if you just take a detachment of some guardsmen um it doesn't really you know work as effectively as they could um i have seen in eighth a lot of people were doing a, gu- a mono guard but with a small detachment of blood angels for the close combat abilities that they have so i guess that was a pretty popular build for a while there so, um, yeah, Lehman Russ's infantry uh, and tank commanders are all pretty, um, standard to the core of a Imperial guard or Astra Melterim army. And then, um, I will mention this and Luke can take over cause this is his favorite tank in the game. Um, the Basilisk.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it is my favorite, um, basically because I don't like to move my army anywhere, but Uh, they have really good characteristics. I mean, they can, they don't get a terribly large amount, number of shots. You can roll 2d6, you get to pick the highest result, and then let's just say you get six shots, um, and you can actually fire twice with a certain stratagem, um, with, uh, either the, I think it's the Hydra, the Basilisk, or the Wyvern, but... If you decide to, you can fire twice. So you get two you get potentially two D6 shots with a really, really high negative AP, and I think the strength has got to be like ten or something. It's it's really high. Let's just see what we have here.
0: And the weapon he's referring to is the Earth Shaker Cannon. Yes. And keep it can also fire pretty much across the board. So yeah, it's got
1: two hundred and forty in range. Um, <laughs>
0: which is more than you'll ever need. <laughs> I mean, I don't even
1: know how many inches are in a six foot table, which is like the tournament regulation, but
0: Well, not anymore. Five by three, is the new norm.
1: Oh my goodness! So many rules are changing.
0: Yep. Wow. <laughs> I haven't. So just for our listeners too, I haven't like gone over any a lot of these rules with Lou. Um, we do have an episode on it um, where Corey and I kind of sit down and talk about it free range, but um, we're also kind of learning. We're gonna have a much more polished episode on ninth um, when we get some playtesting in. So cool. Um, I'll have to yeah, go back but, and listen yeah um there's a lot of changes coming um a lot of them seem minor but they're going to affect you know just as a summary they're going to affect um the way people play their games and the most major change is the way you actually build your army so um you're going to see a lot of different types of uh a lot of different types of armies come and i think primarily you're going to see mono factions so we actually lost some audio so um yeah, my apologies. Um, with that being said, uh, we just kind of want to cut it off here. So, um, as always, to ask us any questions, and um, you know, we will do our best to respond. Um, we really want audience participation here, and um, you know, so just hit us up. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed sort of a rough overview and a little bit more in depth uh, on the guard or astro term and follow us at foxtrot battle line five one nine eight as well as foxtrot battle line dot com. and um our next episode uh we'll be going over um harlequins so look out for that all right thank you bye